Thanks for joining us once again. Welcome back to Let's Do This. Great guest interview. Once again. Once again. I love, I love talking with people. I know you do. I fucking love it. I know you do. I do too. What an honor. It's a huge privilege to get an hour of somebody's time Mm -hmm. to talk about what their day looks like and how they got there. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And we're going to crack some jokes and they don't know how that's going to go. You know, they really sign up. It always goes for a nice little adventure and it does really go. It does go really well. So, all right, everybody, we have Josh forehand today and Josh is a principal of a dual language immersion elementary school here in Madison. I've known Josh for quite some time and I have been really looking forward to uh, talking with him, Margaret mm-hmm. and I've been looking forward to this, and uh, we've uh, be- because of his leadership, mm-hmm. it was his leadership abilities that that brought him into my in to mine and Margaret's space mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. who do we want to hang out with? Mm-hmm. And when I think of Josh's leadership abilities, that I think of inclusiveness, warmth, thoughtfulness, mm-hmm. safety. It's very humanizing leadership. Mm-hmm. It's gentle. It's very and, gentle and, and clear assertive and clear. Yeah, clear, ground, grounded. Very, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that will you'll you'll you're going to hear that today oh, in yeah. this conversation and Josh, thanks thanks for the time. It means so a lot. So many takeaways. Yeah. So many takeaways. Yeah. Enjoy. Good morning, Josh. Thanks for being here with us. Do you do you prefer Joshua? I've never asked you this. Um, no, I prefer Josh actually. Okay. No, okay. Thanks for asking though. <laughs> Good morning, Andrea. Right. Good morning, Margaret. Thanks for being here. Great, I'm looking forward to, to this time. It. Yeah, it's yeah. my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Josh, you and I have known each other for quite some time now. And I, I think when Margaret and I take time to reflect on who would be a great guest to come mm-hmm. on the show. You have come to my mind a few times. So it's like, so for, for like, a, a, like two years, like you've been actually on the docket, Josh, for a long time. We were just talking about how the timeliness of things or, you know, um, you flatter trust, trusting it, <laughs> trusting it. Well, you have a big role in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our um, community. Yeah. And yeah. we love, we love like highlighting local, I'm just going to say it, local heroes, mm-hmm. people, people that are, um, you know, signed up for really big hard work because not everybody is like, Oh, I'm going to go do this really hard job that really stretches me. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be rewarding, but darn, it's going to probably be really hard, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you signed up for that. So thank you for the yeah, work I in the world. That. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate that. And I, I yeah. um, am always happy and ready to talk about our wonderful school community. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to be here. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we are sitting down with a school principal of Nuestro Mundo, um, which is a DLI elementary school in the Madison area. And can you say what DLI is? 
DLI is dual language immersion. And the two languages so at your at your school, Josh? We have um, we we teach in and through Spanish and English at North mm -hmm. Carolina. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm Josh, happy to talk more about that if now's the time. I or... think we're I think we're definitely going to get into it, but I want to hear yeah. a little bit more about your if you want to give you know just a little bit of an overview of how you came to be okay. in this vocation like what you know any any main like well, the 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 the, uh, the tipping point or the aha moment or you're like that's for me or i want that role or i i believe in myself to to be that person in in our community or mm -hmm. however that looked <clears throat> Well, I'll go back to um, kind of a story I like to tell about how I got into education in the first place. I didn't study. I never saw myself as a teacher when I was young. I didn't, um, or a principal for that matter. Uh, I didn't study education in college. Um, I just kind of followed my interests. <clears throat> Excuse me, early. Um, I grew up in a small town in, in central Texas um, called Stephenville. Uh, it's the self-proclaimed cowboy capital of the world, and uh, I, I never much identified with uh, with that scene. Um, I, you know, I lived there from the time I was first in first grade, uh, and then actually went to college in that town also. So I spent a whole lot of my young life in the same small town, and so um, I uh, <clears throat> really wanted to get out of there. I really wanted you know, to see some different things. Um, I studied Spanish in high school, but uh, it was just kind of um, something I had to do. I, I didn't mind it, but it wasn't necessarily a passion for me. And then when I was a freshman in college at Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas, I had a, I had a really great Spanish professor. Uh, his name was Daniel Pivato. Mm. And uh, he he made, he made the language and the culture really fun and engaging. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I felt like I had a, you know, um, I was fairly good at picking up the language. And he encouraged me to do a study abroad, uh, six-week sort of course in Mexico, which I did. Um, and uh, it was a really wonderful experience. Met people from all over the United States, all over the world. Um, <clears throat> and really fell in love with the culture and the, the language and the people and the food of Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, I it's a discovered, place. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful, place. Beautiful, beautiful people. Beautiful people. Mm -hmm. I also discovered a uh, kind of a, the subculture of, of backpackers that mostly, you know, Can Canadians and Europeans <laughs> and Australians kind of just like going around. Um, doing not much of anything, but just having experiences and enjoying themselves. And I got sort of enamored with that as well. And so I would, um, I went back, did another year of college, I had a job where I was able to work a whole lot of hours and make some money while going to school full time. Uh, and so I'd save up my money. Um, and then I have my brother drive me to, um, drive me to San Antonio. Mm -hmm. I'd hop on a bus to the border, walk across the border, get on another bus and just kind mm -hmm. of tour Mexico for the summer. 
Is and, this uh, the 90s? Are we doing this in the 90s? <laughs> we are in the late, mid to late 90s at this point. Yeah, yeah totally. This is so that moment. I love yeah, that. I can, stories I from can, the 90s. I can, that's when Birkenstocks were like really cool. <laughs> I can see it. Tevas, you know, I can I see it. I may or may give. not have owned a pair of both of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. I can see it. So anyway, did you have curls? Did you have curls back then, too, Josh? I don't know. I've never had curls. Not that I didn't want them, but no. Um, Okay, carry on. Yeah, we'll stop stop stereotyping. That's okay. No, I was I was absolutely a stereotype. Um, And so you know, uh, I graduated college. You know, I had degrees in history and English. Uh, and really had no direction or guidance as to what was next, what was what came after that. I had no clue what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I had a friend who was in the Peace Corps in South America, in Paraguay. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just go, you know, overland, take my time, see how things are going down there. And uh, I didn't really have a, a realistic expectation of how far the amount of money I had would get me. I didn't even make sure. it halfway to Paraguay. And I mm-hmm. ran out of money in Honduras. So mm-hmm. I went through Mexico, spent a good amount of time in Guatemala, got to Honduras out of money. It's like, oh, I guess now what do I do? Either, you know, try to make it back to the States or I get a job and see what happens from here. Mm-hmm. So um, I was, I don't know if you want the really long version of the story. Uh, okay. Whatever, I'm, I'm engaged. So I love these stories. So... Yeah. These are all the moments that bring you to now, you know, these are, this is where there's so many random moments in time that Mm -hmm. lead me to where I am right now. And, you know, a very seemingly insignificant decision could have led me on a completely different path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I I was in, yeah, Mm -hmm. I was in, you know, when you're in your early twenties, all all the little things, you know, Mm -hmm. set you on a different course. Um, so I was in Guatemala, uh, and I was just at a at a little restaurant having some food, and and I noticed another um, American was in the in there, and I I just kind of struck up conversation with him. He happened to be in in the Peace Corps also um, in Guatemala, and invited me to come visit his site, which is way out in uh, in the hills of mm-hmm. Alta Verapaz, which is a state in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. I went and stayed with him for a while, which is a really cool experience because we were the only two, you know, foreigners mm-hmm. there. Uh, and um, that, was a, that was a really neat and rare experience. Um, but then he, he said, my mom is Honduran and she, she lives in Copan, which is right on the other side of the border. And she has a little bed and breakfast. And if you take this letter to her, she'll let you camp out on her land. Here, here's the stereotype again, Margaret. I had a little tent and a hammock. And yeah, like so, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then a month later, uh, I find myself in Copan, and I track this lady down, and I say, hey, I met your son in Guatemala. Here's a letter from him. She was so happy, so mm-hmm. happy to hear from him. And uh, I camped out on her land that was a kind of in the hills overlooking the valley of Copan. It's a place mm. called Hacienda, La Hacienda San Lucas. If you go to Copan, Rinas, and Honduras, it's a, it's a place where a lot of tourists go to 
there's some there's some Maya ruins on site there, and and in Copan there's a there's a very significant Maya ruin site. So there's a lot of tourism in that area, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of where I realized that uh, I didn't have enough money really to go anywhere else. So I was um, helping her out at the uh, at that bed and breakfast um, during the day, and in, in return for you know sleeping in my tent there at night. And I, I was talking to her, and I was, I was telling her, I, was, I really like this little town. It's a really cool little place. Um, it's a little expat international community there. Um, but um, on the other hand, it's one of the poorest regions of Honduras, which is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very interesting place. And uh, she mentioned that there was a bilingual school that had just been started by some local families who recognized uh, the, the need for um, more, more, more people who spoke English because of the tourism and, the, and the, the impact that that could have, the effect it could have on building a middle class mm. within that small town. And so they were always looking for, I mean, in those days it was if you, if you spoke Spanish, I mean, sorry, if you spoke English, that was the only qualification you needed to be a teacher at the school. It's, it's yeah. different now. It's very different now. It's much more established, but um, this was in the early days. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, you know, okay. Um, I, went, I went and met the, the founder of the school and uh, we had a conversation and she said, we need a third grade teacher. I was like, yeah, you know, okay, whatever, let's do it. And um, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, mm-hmm. no preparation, no, no real expectations over, you know, what this is going to be like. And, and, you know, every bit of energy these kids threw at me, which is a lot, I just kind of threw right back at them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we made it through the year. And I made a lot of really wonderful, lasting relationships mm. um, that uh, Facebook actually has helped revive in recent years. Um, but I, I realized that I enjoyed teaching. I had a knack for it. I felt I was pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that most of Latin America, uh, sixth grade is kind of the culmination of elementary school. Lots of kids, especially in rural, rural regions, don't go beyond sixth grade. So sixth grade is a really big deal. There's a big graduation ceremony and all this at the end. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Texas. I'm going to actually try to learn some teaching methods. And then I'm going to come back and I promised those kids I was going to come back and I was going to teach them for sixth grade. Awesome. So I went, I went back to Texas. I found Got a job. The chills. Got the chills. Well, you know, they, th- this has been kind of something that's, that's, that's kind of guided my, everything I do, you know, professionally um, is, and what I, what I what developed in that first year was you find a community of people that you care about and then you, you know, you lend your, your talents and your expertise and your time and your energy to um, making that community a better place. And that's kind mm-hmm. of, that, that was strongly established that, that year. And it's been with me ever since. Beautiful. So yeah, I went back to Texas, found a job teaching bilingual education outside of Dallas, got an alternative certification. So I was teaching during the day, working or taking classes at night and on the weekends and earned a certification. Um, 
and returned, kept my promise to those kids, returned for sixth grade, uh, and then stayed on for another year at the school uh, before coming to, to Madison. Mm. Uh, during all that time, I met a girl, and uh, she was from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> and she actually came down to Honduras with me. We, we lived there for two years, and she brought me to Madison during the summertime, of course, and said, hey, this is where I went to college. We should live here. Awesome. And I, you know, and she took me out on a canoe on Lake Mendota from Union Terra. She showed me all the wonderful yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, she did. Awesome. <laughs> she, yeah, she was going to pull out all the stops. Yeah, right. classic. And it worked. And, uh, and you want to rope anybody into Madison, you got to do it in the summertime. That's right. You start at Memorial <laughs> Terrace, right. you know, the Union Terrace. Um, so uh, on the way back from Honduras, we drove there, so we were driving back, and um, I had my first interview with the first principal of Nuestro Mundo Community School in probably July or August of 2005 mm-hmm. in a phone booth in Mexico City, and uh, that went well, and a couple weeks later, we were in Madison and came to the school, and I was hired as a, a, a kindergarten teacher at Nuestro Mundo, this, uh, the second year after it opened. And um, it's been, you know, a big part of my life for the past 15 years now. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah. What yeah, a great story. What that a, was a great what story. What a good journey. Great storyteller. Yeah. I was there. I was there. Yeah. Was yeah. You probably crossed paths at one point. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I, I, I felt well, you were like there in the I could, story. I was there in the story, but I was also, I had, I had my, my, you know, when I was 21, I had a good year of romping around for sure with my backpack and my teethers. And I also love that we, what we have in common, Margaret and I with you, Josh, is growing up, having a big part of our young life in one small town. Mm -hmm. Totally. Both really resonating with um, not really identifying with it long-term, really ready to get out of there and do some exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Andrea and I grew up in the, in the same small town, which mm-hmm. is a little, right. a little backstory. Yeah. That's so, right. yeah. Um, could you speak to just that transition of like, because kindergarten teacher to principal of, you know, a small mm-hmm. school, like that, that's a big, that's a big transition. How did that unfold? If you sure, could just yeah, speak to so, that or like that leadership um, role. There, there, let me start by saying there's a very special place in heaven for kindergarten teachers. Mm. <laughs> yes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yes. I, I did it for a couple of years and, you know, I did okay. And then, um, when when uh, we learned that we were going to be having a child of our own, my wife and I, it's like, okay, I don't think I can do this all day and go home and be a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know how people do it. So I I, I asked um, I asked the principal at the time, you know, can I do something else? Third grade, the school had to reach third grade at that point. So it's like, sure. So I, I jumped from kindergarten to third, and that was the, I was with the very first group of kids who uh, started as kindergartners back in 2004. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, 
So mm-hmm. we created, it was the first third grade year for Nuestro Mundo. And then um, from that point on, we kind of established this thing where, okay, we were two, at least two teachers at each grade level. Mm-hmm. But one of us would stay behind and one of us would go forward with, the, with the, that first group of kids. Yeah, like loop. Some level of consistency. Some looping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was the one who decided to loop. So I went from third to fourth to fifth in mm-hmm. three years with that same group of kids, which I thought was a really great experience to have the same group of kids for three years. And um, that's, that's really been fantastic now that they're adults. Um, I've actually been able to work with some of them here in Nuestro Mundo. They, they've worked in the after-school program here. How but cool. um, uh, <clears throat> that gave me, you know, a, a span of experience across all of elementary school. Uh, and then I eventually became an instructional coach, um, which also gave me a different, different lens, um, you know, working with teachers to, to improve their practices. And uh, during that time, um, you know, I started wearing a walkie talkie, which is, you know, of common use in schools and uh, started kind of helping out with other things like, you know, behavioral issues that would arise um, and, you know, just kind of taking on more and more responsibility within the school and just started thinking, you know, I think this is something that I could do. Um, it's, it's kind of, it was, it was the culmination of, of all these different experiences. Um, and then, you know, admittedly, you know, Act 10 um, happened. Uh, in Wisconsin, where it was like it was uh, Scott Walker's Union Busting mm-hmm. Act, and uh, there was a lot of um, uncertainty, you know, in our future as teachers and yeah. we need to collectively bargain and things like that. Yeah, it was really intense. That yeah, yeah. family was growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teachers child number test. two was on the way. Yeah, um, and so. <clears throat> um, I needed, I needed something else. I felt like I also needed something else professionally, more something, a new challenge. So I started taking um, graduate courses in school leadership. Yeah, um, I was also, just thinking like, you know, recognizing I, I have some natural leading ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think through. I was starting to understand that too. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just in my work with teachers. Um, and so my, my first leadership position was actually in the central office for Madison schools in what was then known as the office of multilingual and global education. And, um, it was a really good experience. Um, it was a year, a year and a half of my life. Um, it was a very difficult year and a half, both professionally and personally. My mother got really sick and passed mm. away during that time. Mm, um, so sorry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the work of the central office work just I didn't I don't it was my first leadership gig I didn't really understand what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a school district and a department that was in huge transition. Very different, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do and we ever? Never, sorry. I said, and do we ever like you, your your sentiment of I didn't know what I was getting myself oh. into, and it's like do do we ever? <laughs> Not really. (laughs) But I, you know, I did, it did, you know, confirm that 
school-based leadership was really what I was interested in doing and what I felt I was most prepared to be successful in. And um, it was actually, I was, I was in Houston in the hospital when my mom was hospitalized when I got the call um, saying, We're gonna, you're going to be the next principal at Nostra Mundo Community School. And I was able to share that with my mom before she passed away. Oh. She, she knew how important that was to me. Um, and, uh, you know, then the transition period kind of happened. And, but, you know, in 2013, I, um, I became principal. Yeah, beautiful. here we are. Here we are. It's beautiful. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Josh. So, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I, I have some, I do have some more little, like, personal questions but let's let's talk first about like why dli learning right like what Mm -hmm. what is the value in dual language immersion programs um that that's a good question there's so much value so much value um i actually have four meetings every spring with prospective parents where i go through this whole presentation and so i'll probably kind of uh, give us, yeah, give us the bullet points. Yeah, so, um, well, it's dual, dual language started uh, was in, in the U.S. anyway, um, uh, when um, with the, the influx of Cuban refugees coming into the Miami-Dade County area, and they, you know, wisely realized that um, leveraging home language and language dominance is the right way to go. Um, kind of take a step back. There, there's two approaches here. Um, one is assimilation mm-hmm. with our immigrants and refugees. And assimilation kind of was the, the default. Actually, it was much more intentional than just being a default over the past 200 years mm-hmm. um, with different waves of immigrants from all over the world. Um, you, you need to learn English. Yeah, and a lot of culture gets lost in that, and yeah. Mm -hmm. You lose the language, lose the culture, except the food. You can keep some food, Um, Mm. but just, you know, a very uh, uh, xenophobic and Mm -hmm. um, ethnocentric approach. Yeah. Um, And, you know, here lately, uh, within the past 30, 40 years, you know, we're realizing that... um, our, our communities and our country is actually, well, some of us, many of us, maybe half of the country, let's say, uh, realizing how, how, how much richer our communities are and our culture and our, our world is, you know, if, if um, we take intentional actions to preserve language and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is... And not only preserve it, but share it. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was in Texas, for example, um, there's a lot of dual language programs all over Texas, but I wasn't in one. I was in what's called a traditional or transitional bilingual program where you kind of, you, you, you leverage the, the home language, language dominance for up to three years, just to make sure they don't fall too far behind in science and social studies and math and content mm-hmm. areas. But the the ultimate expectation is is a transition to English only. So it's not really um, 
cultural and linguistic preservation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's more of, um, you know, somewhat well-intentioned utilizing it so they don't too, fall too far, too far behind as they're acquiring English. <clears throat> which is, which is, you know, to me more beneficial than an English only program where you're just kind of thrown in sink or swim. Sure. Um, and you're trying to manage acquiring a new language and mastering content mm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that feels really dehumanizing. <laughs> yeah. And being an immigrant, yeah. a new country, a new city and all those things. Um, so, but in those programs, you're, you're teaching speakers of that language only. So it was mm-hmm. only uh, native Spanish speakers. And um, the big difference with dual language immersion is that <clears throat> um, in those transitional or traditional programs, you're separating them from, the, from their English speaking peers for most of the day. Sure. And those are the kids who know the language who speak it fluently as their home and native language of English and who could serve as language models for those students. Mm-hmm. And what, what we know from, from dual language research is that mo- most of the language that kids are acquiring is from their peers, not mm-hmm. from their peer. Right. Um, yeah, and so that feels for, for kids who, for, for American citizens, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. that's a disservice to them too, to not be exposed exactly. to, to more language. For English speakers, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's the next point is that so and culture, um, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not it's not only um, preserving home language and culture; it's sharing home language and culture. Mm -hmm. So um, at Nuestro Mundo, about about fifty about forty eight percent of our students um, are uh, what we would call English dominant. Some of them speak. Uh, are bilingual, but um, are not uh, not identified by the, the school district as English learners, which means they have acquired a prof- an English proficiency, even if they are bilingual. Most of them are not. Most of them are like, you know, um, uh, kids who just speak, grew up speaking English in the home. Um, so that's about 48% of our student body. And um, that 48% of students are learning to learning Spanish, mm-hmm. um, learning um, at, a, at a deeper level, uh, other cultures, um, um, more than just, you know, holidays and uh, historical figures and things like that. They're, they're learning um, in a very intimate way in the same classroom. Uh, mm-hmm. cultural nuances and um, similarities and differences. Uh, our, our Latino students are being, they're seeing their language and culture elevated to a status equal to that of English. And it's um, wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really something really beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And then the other percent of your student population are, Spanish dominant, or, or I'm sorry, how you phrased it, but they're, I don't know if, if people still say their native tongue or their, Any, their yeah. first language or. Any but, of those will do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, just like in, in the, the, the pedagogy of it, we, we say uh, 
like language dominance because we know that all of our students are all along the continuum of bilingualism. Right. So we may have a student who is what we call simultaneous bilingual, which means their their proficiency in English and Spanish is, is about similar. Sure. And uh, some of those students um, are identified as English learners and some of them are not. It's, it's all based on, really it's based on how they perform on um, on a language proficiency test that we do. Sure. And so much of language, I mean, it's one thing to, I mean, there's so many different layers of it. There's understanding it, comprehension, there's speaking it, there's reading it, there's writing it, and you can feel really comfortable in any one of those and really mm -hmm. not comfortable in any one of those. You know, it's just, it's not a real straightforward equation of how how we, you know, digest language and... That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. That's, you know, the the big um, English proficiency evaluation that we give that all schools in Wisconsin give and I think something like 38 states is the access test for English learners, which is developed right here in Madison at WIDA at UW. Mm -hmm. um, and it does have, it does, you know, um, they call them language domains. So there's uh, there are assessments that look at um, speaking, listening, mm -hmm. reading, and writing. And so right. each student will get a score in each of those areas, and you can combine the areas in different ways to get a better sense of of what each student can do. Sure. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So. Sorry, Andrea, just a couple more things, you know, yeah. just in looking back at, so why dual language? Um, there are, there are, you know, um, economic benefits, <clears throat> cognitive benefits that have, that have been proven through research and uh, experience, more gainful employment, um, being hired over or before monolingual mm -hmm. candidates. There's yeah. recent research and how early bilingualism uh, affects brain development mm -hmm. and some of the some of the findings are that that it can lead to more creative problem solving more adaptive and flexible thinking and there are uh, some studies coming out that uh, actually are showing um, uh, a positive correlation between early bilingualism and um, the uh, the ability to avoid uh, cognitive impairment later in life, like dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm, Brilliant. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it is so interesting um, here in the States, how it isn't normalized like it is in the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, totally. it's just, I was just it's, thinking it's, the same it's, thing. It's mm -hmm. just so, it's just so freaking American of us, isn't it a little bit, you know, yeah. it's just really, it's just, it's so reflective of, yeah. Yeah. It says a lot. And, and, um, and it's sure. so different. In the rest of the world. I know. I'm sure, you know, when you come across Europeans and, and they speak seven languages. And it's nothing to, yeah. It's because they start English in first grade. Right. They may even come to, you know, come there with speaking two or three different languages already. Um, 
and then pick up another one in middle school, another one in high school, maybe another in college. And one, mm -hmm. you know, each language you learn makes the next language easier to learn. Right, right. Um, and yeah, it is, it's compulsory bilingual education and, and just about all of the developed and much of the underdeveloped countries of the world, except for the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, any, any thoughts for families out there that might not have access to your school, not local, don't have programs around them, but would love to incorporate some dual learning in their ho homes? Uh, you know, any, any thoughts about like, working yeah. with what we have as, as Americans and trying sure. to, you know, I know that's a big question, but well, because it, it does feel like you're, you're, it's, that's a big thing to, to go after or to create space for in a it family. Is. And it's very, it's very political in our country, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, that too. Yeah. Um, I would say, well, you know, so there are a lot of places that may not have access to dual language, but may have foreign language in the elementary schools is another mm -hmm. program that's more common, which is maybe, you know, a teacher might visit your room one hour a week or a couple times mm -hmm. a week. Um, that's better than nothing. Um, but I think... Uh, I think going to your school board and advocating for this, go to your local school board, you know, that's how Nuestro Mundo developed. Yep. That's how yep. we came about. It wasn't, okay. uh, it was a, people are advocating for a need. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like that quote about a small group of dedicated people can change the world. I'm paraphrasing, but um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what happened in Madison. Mm -hmm. um, so go to your school board and advocate. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, and, you know, I, I didn't I didn't start learning, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't start learning Spanish until high school. So if you don't have access to dual language, most most places start foreign language programs in middle school. Encourage your child to get involved in that. Um, make sure that those programs are being funded in your school district. Um, the earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I think some uh, some some exposure at any age, K twelve, is good. And then you may consider um, the way that you vacation. Um, maybe not go to Club Med. Maybe go uh, go somewhere where you'll be surrounded by the language. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of. I think Airbnb and some of those kind of things uh, really have opened up the world a little bit. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was a there was a an organization that started at, after um, World War II. It was called Servas, and it, I think it was developed in Europe. And basically, what it was is you could become a part of this group, and um, all you had to do was make sure that you had a room in your home, and you were plugged into this network where if someone from another country was visiting your area, they, they could stay with you free of charge. Mm -hmm. And then you could do the same thing with other members of this network wherever you went. Mm -hmm. And the whole mission behind this was to prevent another world war by uh, just 
building familiarity and understanding by Beautiful. meeting people from other places. And so, that's simple. That's simple. Yeah. So I think Airbnb, you know, it's powerful what people can create. Yeah. What people create from from love, really, rather than fear, which is something mm -hmm. I think about a lot now. Um, mm -hmm. When I want to engage with the world in a bigger way, is like to question: Is my intention rooted in and to to bridge more connection, more love, or is it is it from fear? Mm -hmm. And I think that American, our, our experience here in the United States really reflects the, the, the deep wound we have around fear, our fear of, and how mm -hmm. it ends up being expressed in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually really hopeful and I, you know, I do I, what I wanted to get into a little bit more with you, Josh, is what you see in this generation of children right now that makes you feel really hopeful um i mean yeah. things are always changing we're just gonna always think we're just we're just a, we sign up for a ride of change constant constant change yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. i'm i'm extremely hopeful by what yeah. i see from 805 to 315 um that's wonderful and <clears throat> i think um I wish I could just take you on a tour of the school mm -hmm. and um, just show you what's on the walls. Yeah. So mm. um, the the messages of hope and um, an understanding um, of inc inclusivity, mm -hmm. tolerance, that, um, tolerance um, celebrating um, celebrating differences. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't, we're not in the business of picking and choosing which oppressed groups we want to support. Um, and that sometimes creates conflict with, um, with our community and some of our families who may not agree with, with some of the things that we do, but, um, we are firmly committed to, um, creating an environment that is inclusive and celebratory of, of everyone and all groups that are historically discriminated against and oppressed. Um, I, I read, um, we have a Nuestro Mundo pledge that I read in the mornings and I can read it right now. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. At Nuestro Mundo, we value all people regardless of skin color, language, country of origin, gender, or ability. We're all human beings deserving of dignity, security, and opportunities. And uh, it's really... In Spanish, can you read it in Spanish for us? Sure. En nuestro mundo valoramos a todas las personas sin importar el color de la piel, idioma, país de origen, género, o, capaci o capacidad. Todos somos seres humanos que merecemos la dignidad, la seguridad, y oportunidades. Awesome. So um, that's something that I hear... You know, I've heard students talk about um, um, we have, a, you know, attracted a group of people to work here. And for the most part, group, uh, families who believe similarly. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that uh, we're doing all that we can in our building. And I believe that that in Madison, um, 
most, if not all schools share a similar approach and, and mission that, um, that we are, we are building an awareness among the next generation mm-hmm. that, that we as a society can do better mm-hmm. and that we have to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we do to illustrate this, and that is probably the, one of the most controversial things that we do, is, is um, an unwavering and un- unapologetic support of the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. family diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was gonna. Mm-hmm. I in this, if this is um, a question that is not something that even if you're not comfortable answering this, I understand. Um, with my own experiences of some aspects of Latin culture is the, they, the, there is some unique under, you know, uh, I don't know, undertone is the right expression, but like of homophobia, I mean, Mm -hmm. can be very attached to uh, Catholicism, Catholic. Um, I think that's, and just, macho culture which is also very much present in the united states misogyny um i guess my question is with families that have been really uncomfortable with your approach with lgbtq support how has that how has that been for you that experience of Mm -hmm. navigating that with some families um so we That is a very good question, and it's something that I do deal with. Um, in Americans, in the United States, we have our own homophobia, too. I'm not saying sure. this is unique, you know. It's, and it's not. I've dealt with white families, yeah. uh, black families, Latino families yeah. about this. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I kind of go back to that. We don't pick and choose which groups we support mm-hmm. which groups we celebrate and are tolerant of. Um, everyone's invited at Nuestro Mundo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've lost families because of this. Um, mm-hmm. We've lost families to other schools. And I think, you know, within Madison, um, we, all ha- we all have the same policy that we work from. Excuse me, but I think um, some schools there's a there's a curriculum called welcoming schools, and uh, some schools do are more kind of fourth um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of bring it into integrate it better than others or more not better but maybe more so than others sure and it's something that it's more of have, a priority maybe or more, more of, of a, a priority more of mm-hmm. a, a value. Yeah, or just like um, a, a living and breathing part of our day-to-day mm-hmm. world. Sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, what I do is I, I try to have conversations. We, we try to have a family meeting, at least one family meeting every year, um, so that this the families aren't taken by surprise that this is a part of our instructional offerings. Mm. Um, they come through lessons like social emotional learning lessons. Um, and, uh, a lot of it is anti-bias based bullying. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we've, we've 
managed over the years to shift political or social capital from the bully to the what we call the ally. And so you'll hear kids using the word ally a lot here. And, um, and I'm not saying that bullying doesn't happen because it does. Of course, everywhere. of course. Um, but uh, so back, you know, to the families, um, I, I bring, you know, when a family, when, when this, this herb emerges, which it does every year, I bring, bring them, if our family, our teachers have varying degrees of, of comfort in dealing with families about this. Um, but eventually I normally will get involved also, we'll bring them in, have conversation, I'll show them, I'll take them through a lesson, might take them through a book, um, a book such as uh, Julian is a Mermaid, or I Am Jazz, or um, a lesson from Welcoming Schools, talking about, um, you know, not all families look alike. Some right, really highlighting. Parents. Yeah. yeah, highlighting, celebrating those differences. Exactly. Of, sure. And I'll, and I'll share with them that uh, some statistics about um, that, that our uh, transgender youth are facing. Yeah. Um, that are, you know, among the most alarming, if not the most alarming in terms of depression, self-harm, suicide, runaway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that we can't, what I get a lot is the kids are too young. The kids are too young. And, um, yeah. And there's, and so what you're, through, you're really, you're hearing, a, you're hearing there a fear on, there's a fear underneath. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think something that is really interesting and unique right now to this time is that each of us are, um, navigating our, our own like distinctive experiences with, with all of these issues right now. Uh, I, I, I personally try to preserve some compassion for people who are really afraid of change and embracing more of the unknown that they're not, that doesn't look like their family dynamic doesn't, um, it's, I, I would imagine it's a delicate dance uniquely for you, Josh, to like, um, to, acknowledge and honor each of the identity boxes that people walk into the building with. And at the same time, it's this thing where it's like, we're all human, like we're all human and we all at the end of the day want, we want to feel safe. We want to, we want to know what love is. We want, you know, yeah, we want, um, we, we have all that in common just as human beings when we're not checking all the identity boxes. Right. That's right. And, and I try to do that. I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not combative, obviously, with families. And I, I actually mm-hmm. was brought up in, uh, you know, Church of Christ, uh, mm-hmm. Southern, in Southern Baptist home. Um, and so I, I certainly have that perspective and understand the world from that lens. Um, but you know, I wasn't sure how much I would be, how transparent I would be about um, um, my more intimate connection with Nuestro Mundo, but I have, um, uh, how, how can I phrase it? I, I really appreciate how well you really do that delicate dance at school um, in your role, because I've, whenever we've 
whenever we've been there now, but since COVID, it's obviously very different. Um, I can I can feel the unity there. I guess I think that's what we're really being called to do right now is to is to create more unity, where mm-hmm. everyone can be a part of that. We don't always have to agree <laughs> mm-hmm. on everything and understand each other and everything, but there's right. still a there's a basic foundation of respect for everyone's experience. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who Henry Rollins is? Mm-hmm. He's the I don't. He's the front man for a punk band called Black Fla- Black Flag yeah. back in the early eighties. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is okay. he now? He so, does didn't he get into some comedy? Yeah. Spoken I, word. Okay. Okay. He is very. Yeah. He's very funny, but he, he. But also, you know, very. Um, it's a spoken word kind yeah. of thing that he does now. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's and, a real. He's a real character. Yeah. Um, but I remember once, um, and we go see him every time he comes into Madison. Um, and he was talking about. He was talking about politics in this country and. What he said was, we're never going to get anywhere standing on opposite sides of the room, flipping each other off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that really stuck with me. And um, we, have to, we have to start from some common ground. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the social media age has, has led us into starting with our differences instead of starting with our similarities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to working with families um, around our LGBTQ support work. Mm -hmm. What I tell them is it's too late to wait until middle school or high school to start um, normalizing. I was just going to use that word. Yeah. Normalizing this. Um, And it's, and it's, it's really dismissive to children who are very open (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And children are and, so open. They see and, they see common ground. I I right. my experience with children is they see each other commonly in this in more of a human way right. rather yeah. than and who know. wanna and who wanna be in an environment that feels safe to them. And Josh, I, I am a part of that queer community mm-hmm. and um it's a very, very I mean like it's hard for me. I, I'm I'm feeling pretty darn emotional in this moment. Um, yeah. because of, because of my youngest and her experience and, uh, and, uh, I don't live in Madison. I live about an hour outside of Madison and her experience is a lot different from the one that you describe as, um, being a kid who, you know, whose mom has a girlfriend and feeling like it's a safe space for her to celebrate that, mm-hmm. to teach other kids about it to have it feel normalized and she's not you know the only feels like the only kid in the whole school um and so i just yeah i really appreciate your willingness to to help kids feel safe and seen and for families to feel safe and seen and and what a unique difference for uh, a parent of any identity um, to drop their kid off at a school where, you know, there's a flag out front and you know that that the principal is having the tough conversations, non-combative, but tough and, and you know, assertive and, and transparent. And mm-hmm. that's just a really different experience. Yeah. Really different. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You know, and, and when oftentimes the, the conversations end with this is what we do 
Yeah. And this is what we're going to continue to do. Um, and Sorry, our, it's hard for you. <laughs> well, sometimes families leave, sometimes they stay. Yeah. Um, we, we're fortunate in Madison. We have school, we have school board policy backing us up on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it comes down to that at times and they make the best decision they feel for them. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's powerful work. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what else, what, what are some other like big takeaways of, uh, you know, back swinging back to the, to the hopefulness and, you know, yeah, well, to I'm not, s- I think this is about the time when we can talk about how much is being um, propelled to change since COVID. I was just going to say that it like, it's sometimes it feels a little bit like the elephant in the room of like, let's not forget, or let's, let's not, uh, yeah, let's not forget to pull back a little bit. Andrew and I are always talking about micro macro, you know, lenses, perspectives and, and, for you as a leader in a community, um, we we could talk about the challenges all day, right? Which um, is easy as a human to to narrow in that lens of what's not going well. Um, but if you would be willing to just pull back and and again, like what is going well? We love to talk about resilience. This is a theme that often comes up um, when Andrew and I get together. Just resilience and and hopefulness and the the takeaways and the, the purpose there's a lot of yeah. purpose in this change right now there were there were a number of things going on that were not sustainable <laughs> right you and know it's, it's and highlighted then, a lot on school for sure yeah and shout out to Josh you and and your just teachers because what a threshold to be crossing right now and you've never mm-hmm. done this you've never done this mm-hmm. before I hope that for the most part, when you're having interactions with families, people are expressing to you that they really, they really care. They really are feeling so grateful for all that you have, you've been doing through this time because it's, it's been, it's been a lot. It's yeah. been a lot. Um, we need well, to talk about your self-care routine before we wrap this up today. <laughs> but but what do you think what do you think is being birthed out of this time that's going that's going to be for the better with all this big change well um if you don't if you don't see it yet it's okay you know we might not see it for a little while too which is totally valid (laughs) i think um I think there are a couple things. So to begin with, what I what I'll say is that um, <clears throat> you can't wait until crisis strikes to prepare a community for crisis. Mm-hmm. So I I feel very fortunate that um, that I'm you know I was seven and a half years into this job when that happened mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit um, that. You know the relationships with teachers, the strength of our of our team here at Nuestro Mundo, um, not only of our of our teachers but of our paraprofessionals. Um, every every person who who works in this building is absolutely um, aligned and and working toward the mission. 
mm-hmm. to our custodians, to our teachers, to our assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally attest to that. Mm-hmm. I experience that with you all on a regular basis. It's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so together, you know, we have worked really hard to um, to create a sense of um, trust and safety as an institution within the community and with our families. And so um, I think that, I think that really helped us get through this. Mm -hmm. Um, The seven years of preparation prior to this Mm. massive crisis. And we experienced a lot of crises prior to the pandemic as Mm -hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine what this would have been like, you know, if I were a first year principal in 2019, mm-hmm. 2020, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And some of, you know, some of my colleagues are in that position and they're, they're just working, they're working so hard and they're so, it's so admirable what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, you know, what I have seen is, you know, the adaptability of our teachers, of our staff, of our families, of our students uh, through, you know, that really scary uncertainty that started in March, 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, how do we salvage the rest of this school year? And what I saw was immense creativity among our teachers. Awesome. um, With the support of the school district. But at that time there was a little bit more, um, we're just going to figure out what works to get us through June. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and the resilience of our families and, you know, making sure that uh, that their kids were logging in every day and figuring it out and the kids themselves uh, staying engaged with what was going on. Um, and then, you know, the following year that started out virtual um, with a little bit more structure, uh, again, adapting to new things, adapting to a new platform, um, a new way of working, a new way of collaborating, mm-hmm. um, you know, p- professional collaboration among teachers and staff, but also with, among kids. And then, you know, reopening and last spring was also like totally new, <laughs> and very different than anything anyone had experienced before. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so you mentioned resilience, and I think that uh, you know adaptability and resilience to whatever is coming is uh, something that that uh, this generation is going to carry with them. Um, yeah, they've they've been asked to adjust to a lot. That's beautiful. I just like the like the those power words just were really. I had to grab a pen collaborating, adapting, creativity, resilience, teamwork, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just the human spirit, you know, we're, we're, we're a tough crowd. <laughs> we are. And I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope um, yeah. for our future because of, because of that, because of the work, because of what I see every day here. Yep. It gives me hope. And yeah. it, it is, you know, largely my, um, my self-care is um, it comes through, I have a job that's very challenging, but also very rewarding. 
Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't don't have that. They don't they don't have the immediate reward every day of seeing kids learning and making progress and um, teachers, you know, making new discoveries and um, enjoying what they do. There's a mm -hmm. lot of reward to my job. Mm -hmm. Josh, my dad, um, he was the president of the school board in our small town for many years, and I have heard him say so many times how so much of a school's culture is a reflection of the principal. And he, he just always would highlight how that leadership of a school really has a lot of influence and, uh, you know, that the ripple effect. And so, yeah, it's just, we see you. We see you, we appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Um, I do have this quote from my dad. Uh, I'd like to read out loud. Andrea Andrea really gives me a lot of shit about how I have like these I love all the quotes. There's so I many, have, you know, we, just a we lot need of, them. Just Hang a lot them of up everywhere. A lot of pep talk, <laughs> joy. Um, so the quote goes, God, I wish there was a date on this of like when this postcard was printed. I'm not finding it, but here it goes. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever does. Margaret Mead. Mm -hmm. I'm not named after her, That's but it is, it is pretty cool. We do have the same name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's me. Mm -hmm. Josh, this has been great. Any any other thoughts, Andrea, Josh, anything either one of you wanna Well, I I do think a lot about people in leadership roles, how they're getting opportunities to take good care of themselves. Cause if your cup is completely empty and depleted, mm -hmm. then we don't we don't get the full benefits of your leadership. Um so, yeah, so you talked about how the satisfaction of of being able to witness great things, but what else filled your cup, Josh? Um, my family, spending time with my family. Um, right, me too. It's been very difficult to strike a balance with this job, and I feel like um, I feel like nine years in, I'm. I'm doing better, a better job of um, letting it go at the end of the day, letting it go on the weekend mm. um, than I've ever been able to do in the past. Mm -hmm. And just trusting that it's going to be okay if I'm not checking my email 24-7. Mm -hmm. um, I want to put that on a loop. It's going to be, you know, like we just hear it on repeat. Okay. Yeah. It's going to so be some, okay. Some, some more okay. boundary implementing. Yes, boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then just Do you like to meditate? Of, Do you like to meditate? Uh, Do you have any like really great physical embodiment practices that just keep you really grounded? Are you like, a biker? Shanti, insanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I, 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 I have a hard time, unfortunately. I, the, the concept of meditation is, you know, something that I strive for, my brain is not there. I have a, an extremely difficult time 
um, with meditation. Mm-hmm. That's okay. <laughs> and I, and I I try. Those, brains, I, those brains don't want to be think, quiet. I yeah. think that's the point. I think yeah. that's the point a yeah, little exactly. bit. I mean, it's not, I shouldn't give up. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of people that are like, it's so easy to meditate, you know? <laughs> yeah. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I try to keep physically healthy. That really helps. That really, really helps. Um, yeah. And you know, sometimes a meditation eat right. practice, yeah. Meditation One, practices can look really different to, for everybody. I mean, wa- just walking can be a meditation, true. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I try to get out in nature as much as I can. Do you have a mm-hmm. bedtime? Are you strict about your uh, bedtime? <laughs> I'm yeah, kind of like an old man, early to <laughs> rise kind of mm-hmm. guy. So mm-hmm. my wife's the opposite. She's up late, likes to sleep in, but um, mm-hmm. she can't, you know, sleep in. But mm-hmm. if she could, she would. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I one of the most important things a principal does is hire the right people. And um, I feel that I, I'm surrounded during the day also by really great people. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not going to do it alone. It's right. not, yeah, it's not to say mm-hmm. there's not conflict. A lot of my job is conflict management and prevention. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm surrounded by great people during the day, great family at home, um, and try to keep myself, you know physically fit, eat right, exercise, nature. Mm-hmm. Nature for me, I guess, is like Huge for my meditation. Yeah. 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 Man, Josh, we might have you back on the show as a as a, a returning guest and we can just really break down conflict management and prevention. Mm-hmm. Oof, okay. That'd be it. <laughs> yeah. That's um, some stories I could tell. Before we before we really conclude, Josh, you do these uh, you're still doing the coffee with the principal. Are you doing those at sort all? Of. Um, sort of. I'm well, doing a chat with the principal cha- in the yeah. after in the late afternoons once a month. What is uh? What are some things you're hearing from from families? That, you know, it's been real quiet lately. In yeah. the beginning, there was it was very much how is this going to look? How's it going to work? Are my kids safe? How are you know going through all the what ifs? Mm-hmm. But since I'd say since October, mm-hmm. um, I've actually had very, very few families logging in. And okay. I, and me, well, for one thing, I could probably promote it a little bit better. But um, also, I think it also speaks to people feeling more comfortable with the way things are going. With the adjustments, and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to, I, I really want to reflect how much my family has loved being a part of this community. Um, I think that, I think your leadership, again, your leadership is really humanizing. Just, it's just really, I can really feel the essence of this, like this great reverence for just the human experience and what brings people together. And I've, we've really loved all of the celebrations. They're really beautiful. Um, and I think it speaks volumes that my now seventh grader st- just asks constantly if she can walk over to Nuestro Mundo and say hi to everybody. She just like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's going to be what? I think it was December of 2014 when we found out she was going to be able to go to Nuestro Mundo for her second half of her kindergarten year. And we were yeah. so ecstatic. 
about it, about that news. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you for the time. Last thoughts? Anybody? Um, Well, you inspired me to look up my favorite quote. I could read that as enough. Okay. Because I was going to, I was just about to say, I was really kind of hoping, I thought it was like a Wisconsin goodbye. I was kind of hoping to use that quote for the end, but then we we added on. Yeah, never. Wisconsin goodbye. Yeah, but but if you have a quote, let's go out on a bang. Uh, this is a this is a quote that kind of speak kind of speaks to my leadership style. Okay, so um, this is by Antoine de Saint Exupéry. The he wrote the Little Prince. If you've ever re- read that. Oh book. yes, that's a big hit in our house. Mm-hmm. So if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Mm. Ooh, inspired action! That was brilliant. That is really beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been Love great. It. I've loved it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sitting down and having having coffee with us. Enjoy yeah. the beautiful day. Enjoy this beautiful yeah. day. You too. Thank All you. Right. Well, Bye-bye. thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.